Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, you can find us at harvesthouse.live. Thank you. 
into the world and being in the category of Christian. We're talking about Plato coming into the kind of category of Epicurean. Plato said we're all not equal and that it's time to be saved, but only by gaining forgiveness from God. That might be Christian. So that we all, as Jacob and Dalton were talking on Saturday night walk, we are living in need of truth. What we need is someone to free us from our sins that we desire to walk in and live with and to simply have heart. That's the allegory that Plato gave to us in Epicurean. Four hundred years before St. Peter Augustus was writing his first epistle, St. Thomas, Joseph, and Mary were talking about the same thing. So we like to put that as uh, the brethren of the Plato faithful. Um, so this is the end of the Lord of the Rings because of Plato's faith. So I'm going to do a Eucharist reading. I'm not going to do the Common Rule of Thumb because we don't have that for the category, but just to remind you what Plato was teaching in Eucharist. Christianity is a Christian life of faith. And if you notice, there are people on this side of the wall who are watching us in battle and people on the other side of the wall who with the light on their side are watching us battle. That's what we're supposed to have in Christ. And that's, in fact, how Eucharist is usually um, communicated. So that's a fabulous thing to give us a shadow of what we would be saying. And what he was actually teaching about Plato was one I call But um, Plato, 400 years before Jesus, says that one day there will be a sacrifice that will illuminate truth. And um, I love that in this painting you've got one guy who's out of the cage with Mary. Who's Yoda? what you've got. In fact, you can see there's another person who's climbing out of the cage. But that's the idea. So within this allegory, within this picture, you've got three groups of people. You've got a group of people who are watching the battle from past on the wall, and you have six brethren who are watching the battle from behind. And then you have the people who are on the defensive side with the helpful to realize the underlying struggle and the backdrop that is Jesus' life. So Jesus, 400 years before uh, before Plato had finished, 400 years before Jesus, rather, um, but within this story of Jesus, you have a specific struggle that his teachers had where they were rejecting Jesus and he had got the idea to put the accent um, and come back home. But um, what you find is that we're not there yet. We're still in Athens. We're waiting for him to come. And the struggle is there with Peter. And so there is a backdrop to that that's necessary for why things take this particular turn at Pentecost. It's helpful to understand why the adulation of the crowds versus Christ's defenses um, that reduced Jesus to tears. You remember that when they saw Peter trying to overthrow Rome with power, with violence, and with might, it broke Peter. Yeah. Because he didn't understand. And so Jesus, 
uh, the witness to, to, to deal with that. But once again, we're not there yet. We're trying to get that thing settled and straightened out and laid back in the, the ways. And so as I said, the Romans arrive and besiege uh, the city of Jerusalem in 64 BC. The Jewish people were divided over how to respond to the rule of their autocorrect governors. The religious people, particularly the Pharisees, believed that the Jewish people were to be God's hands in the earth. Not only did they find the religious leaders at their resource in Jerusalem, but the religious people were to be God's which the Messiah would come and institute a glorious age in which Israel would be great and the people honored. So once again, they kind of had it right. They thought that Jesus would come and exit as all of the other traditions continue to like, but the light would just be how great Israel was. So essentially the Pharisees were wearing red hats to check that Israel did it. That's the context. That's, that's, that's what it took that fight along. I'm just telling you, that's the backdrop. They thought it was going to be political. They just didn't get it. They didn't expect Jesus to occur in their time. They just didn't get the idea. And so what you find, interestingly enough, is that the success of their plan is tempered by their own motive. Uh, the present reality of the rule of Rome was determined that cooperation was the best policy. So they had Roman occupation. Imagine what it would be like if on the streets of our city, we had marching up and down with guns. That's what it would be like. Not only would they have foreign forces, but what they considered the Catholics, heathen forces. And so the uh, Pharisees took one way, the Sadducees took another way. They believed that they should, uh, that the, the Sadducees believed that they should work with them. And they got power and they got gain from it. Think about how many churches that you might know out there, religious institutions that have decided that the best way is to be co-opted by the Catholics. Because when you get in the room with power, typically what happens is you get control. And so what happens, the Pharisees got this other group of people called the Zealots. Now the Zealots were really interesting. The Zealots were a ultra-nationalistic group of people, and they thought it was their job to constantly overthrow the Romans. Mary had to be patient for these kids and these prostitutes. 
shows up and begins talking to them about why he was here, why he's got the ablaze. And then he says to them, this is what heaven has to say to humanity. You can't save yourself. He's been trying to tell them this all along. He's been trying to tell them all all along. Don't make it over. So then all of a sudden you have this wonderful
And so the lame, I will make the remnant. I will lift up those who are afflicted. Israel's that cross. I will cause them to be a strong nation. Uh, oh, ye, and here it is. Oh, and ye, O thou of the flock. There is the daughter of Zion. To you it shall come, the former, the many, and the one. But the sovereignty of the daughter is yours. Now he's just saying, enough. This time you most of your older plantations, and the way I know this is a promise, is he's talking to the very same slaves. He's not putting people in the slave market. He's saying, I know, but my days or 50 years is going to go through. But as things Anybody ever heard that line? The end of time. I've heard it past those years. Maybe there, there's stuff getting really bad out there. I don't know if you saw the other day that somebody shared something on Facebook. Nobody wanted anything to do. And 
this this says a lot about how the religious system works. Nobody wanted anything to do with shepherds. In fact, shepherds were considered unclean in Jewish jurisdictions. So they didn't want anything to do with the shepherds because they were unclean, but they sure liked the sheep that they kept for them. So we don't want anything to do with you shepherds, but we need the sheep because the sheep are clean. So what they do is they go and kill them. Isn't that often what, how many times have we done this before where we sacrifice on behalf of our religious altars? 90% of the times what we sacrifice is what they eat. On our religious altars, we sacrifice our children. We sacrifice the next generation, not actually taking into what is God going to do so they took these children who were outcasts. They didn't want anything to do with them. They put them in the hills. And so these children would raise these huge, huge, huge uh, uh, flocks of sheep. The law required at that time, I'm sure you know this yet, uh, that every household had to sacrifice a lamb at Passover if they could afford to do so. It would have to be a very large number of lambs. Now we're going to get really into um, meaning. Um, according to Jewish law, it dictated that Isn't this how the church works? You have to do this, otherwise you're not clean. But we also get to dictate what the lamb gets to look like. And we have lambs for you. So what would often happen is somebody would bring a lamb to the sacrifice for Passover to offer it so they could be clean and good to go with God again. And the priest would look at it and say, no, 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 this is a lamb not ready for lambing. But I have a lamb to sell you. So what they would do is the temples actually had become major money racks. Oh, and by the way, as if this isn't a big enough deal, everybody wants in on this because you couldn't just buy the land. You had to first choose your money because you also couldn't use Caesar's money in the synagogue. You had to use Jewish money or holy money. So they also had horrible, horrible, horrible exchanges. Remember when Jesus said, you know, he traveled over to the Samaritan and he ran up and he gave him $100 and he got like five back. That's just pretty much how it works. Um, and so he, he, they had these exchanges. So think about all the hoops you have. First of all, genocide. Many of them were traveling months, plural, to get to the temple to offer the sacrifice. system. Actually, thank you. Billy and I got a meeting later today about some stuff, how we can figure out how to do this here at this church. Similar system. I don't know what those guys are exactly, but um, but that's the way this whole thing worked. The sacrificial system had become incredibly corrupt, and the people made a fat profit. The richest people in Israel at this time were not the Romans. It was the Jews 
align you to the Romans because what the religious leaders started doing, they were pouring out their wallets to the Romans. So they were they were offering up any kind of information. They were like, yeah, beaker. Uh, and so they would offer up information for those people so the Romans would pay them. And then they were also saying, hey, by all this sacrificial ritual stuff, these religious people were really good. And I know that that's a harsh concept to think that religious people, that pastors, that religious leaders would actually lean upon that and take advantage of people. But I know it's difficult to comprehend. I know it doesn't happen well today. We kind of heard it from the pulpit. Thank you. 
Boaz and Ruth with him because the harvest came from Boaz and his fields and Obed and Boaz and his fields. Those are the fields with the children in Genesis's first three chapters. Also, the fields of Jacob. So most people believe that Jacob was very rich in fields because David gave Jacob the best So David, from the line of David through Boaz, we get the richest fields in Genesis. So, it was to them that the angel appeared. The, the purpose of that is really interesting about announcing the good news to the shepherd first is God isn't simply saying, everyone is going to die. He starts with the lowest common goes to them first. He doesn't go to the high priest's mansion. He doesn't go to the people that had money. He doesn't go to the people that had power. He doesn't go to the people that had a church or, or a following or a religious voice. He goes to the outcast children. Now, uh, we don't have time to discuss how uh, hierarchies work in uh, the, the ancient Near East, but just trust me when I tell you the children are the lowest of the low. We all have stories of a patriarch in society, so women, unfortunately, were, um, were very oppressed. But the only people that, it, so it actually went men, women, slaves, children. Because the only ones that the slaves could tell what to do were the children. So the only people who were a slave that could have one people that had less freedom than the slaves were the society in the ancient Near East. So isn't it also interesting when Jesus says, suffer the what? The little children. children. What did Jesus say about uh, it being hard to understand the little ones? It's better that a rat should be thrown around your neck than that you should be a sheep. And if you want to, those that receive the kingdom of God, you have to become like those little ones. You think that he was saying, I'm just going to give you money. saying the ones who define the kingdom of God are the heroes who talk about the bankrupt who incarcerate and the beggar who beats the That's where he starts. So God starts with the message, glory to God in the highest and peace and goodwill to all men. Today, the Messiah comes and he starts with the lowest common denominator. Think of the worst person in the world today that you see and most can provide for you. God gives the message, the gospel, the good news, starting with them. That's how he does it. So, this is a radical group. Next, before departing, the angel gives the shepherds a task that has been binding on them. A baby's going to be wrapped in cloth and placed in a manger. Four three shepherds, they knew exactly what that meant. You know why? Because the angel said, you're going to find the baby in a cave laying in a trough. And they're like, oh, I know about caves and troughs. If Jesus would have been born in a temple, the shepherds never would have been able to save him. If Jesus would have been born inside of one of Mary's family's houses in the Bethlehem, Jesus never would have been able to save it. If Jesus would have been born in a courtyard, if Jesus would have been born any other place, because Jewish people were the outcast of the outcast of the outcast. And so that's why it's so subversive and so radical 
then you start to win, and then you use the declaration and method where people will say, hey, by the way, you're going to find your Messiah in the Yeshua, the Cross Christ. He's the all in one. You're going to find him in Jacob. Same effect. And so that that verse of Malachi that we just read, that the uh, NBN modified it to say, this verse is about the me, O power of the cross, O daughter of Zion. That is prophesying back to the Messiah, back to the nation of where the promise of his Messianic coming will be and what that means to be Christ-like. So the good news of great joy is that the world's true king has been born. But not just that he's been born, it's that he's been born in a cave. And not just that he's been born in a cave, he's been born in Plato's cave. He's been born in a cave where humanity has been plagued by darkness. Humanity has been plagued by allowing other people to reflect the light and give us the shadows of what they think we're supposed to see. Here, Jesus is the light of the world born in a cave in the dark place where we have experienced the dark and hopelessness and civilization. But here's what he wants shadows on the walls, shadows that animals of our fears and our shadows, angels come and proclaim his The prison where we launch these shadows on the wall, we need to get out of the cave, but to be safe in the cave isn't enough. For God wants to call us from above. Someone had to join us in the cave. See, God didn't hang outside of the cave. If you remember the guy that was standing up top that woke God, God took standing up there He gets in the cave and then says, let's get out. He comes in the darkness and leads you out of the darkness. That's how it works. So Jesus is born in the midst of the mess and he takes you out of the mess. And so what I love about this idea is that someone has joined the darkness, Emmanuel, God with us. That's Jesus, the cave, the prison where shadows are cast on the wall, lies, lies about God, about them, lies about others, lies about those people. False innuendos that God is angry, hard to please, in some way retributive, and that's false testimony. The fear generated by these shadows led to the birth of wrong religion. You see, the mystery teach that our shadows are not real. So here's the interesting thing. So the fears in your life, are they real or are they not real? Well, they're real because you feel them. But in most cases, they're not real because they're ones that haven't happened yet. Okay? Like you ain't seen that thing I'm about to walk in on. But there you go. That's just the way it works. So here's the way shadows talk. So they call fears shadows in different modern styles of thinking. Uh, I would read it. But what they say is really interesting about shadows is shadows are two things. Shadows are your fears, and then shadows is the mask you put on to pretend that you're not, to pretend that you're something else to get through the fear. Has anybody ever felt like they were in a relationship with a guy and they had a crush on him? You were given a relationship where it would have been, you're the love of that relationship, or it would have been a work environment, that relationship could have been top-notch, 
and lots of things. But in that relationship, if you look, when you do that, you create shadow because the fear becomes I can't be me. Who I am is not good enough. I've got to be this thing over here. So that's why Jesus said, woe unto you, hypocrites, because you shut up. Why? Because it creates this other thing. But the thing in shadow is clear. I'm not trying to give you
Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at harvesthouse.live.